Welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks, the podcast where we get down to the nitty gritty of what actually happens during and after a cancer diagnosis, hosted by me, Madison Pollitt, and me, Paige Gill. Today's guest is Pasha Cheney, an author, cancer survivor advocate, and squamous cell carcinoma survivor. She's had no evidence of disease for four months. We'll also be doing a giveaway of her book, Through the Scars Rising from Cancer, you can find out more information on how to win a coffee on our Instagram at Cancer Actually Sucks Podcast. We're so excited to share her story today. Welcome, Pasha, to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, for having me. I really do appreciate it. Of course. We can't wait for you to share your story. Um, so you are an author, a cancer survivor advocate, and a squamous cell carcinoma survivor, and you have been free of disease for four months now. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. Um, I'd love if you could explain a little bit about what squamous cell carcinoma is and how you found out you had it. Of course. So squamous cell carcinoma, it is a skin cancer. Um, and mm. skin cancer mainly affects the cells within your skin, usually the underlying uh, surface of the skin. Um, so the dermis mm -hmm. and things like that. And so what's unique about squamous cell carcinoma in my case is that it didn't start on top of my skin. It actually started inside my nose. And so okay. there are tiny little layers, of course, of skin and lining within your nose area. And that is where my squamous cell carcinoma started. Okay. That's so, like, so random. Yeah. Did, very did rare, how? very yeah. rare, only about 2% of cases. So about 2000 cases of uh, what's considered uh, nasal because it's in the nasal passages, but it all mm -hmm. falls under head and neck cancer. Um, so okay. when you when you speak of nasal cancer, really um, in the nose, it's only about 2%, about 2000 people per year are diagnosed with um, wow. this type of cancer in this area. So it's very, very rare. Wow. That is insane. And how did you discover it? Oh, Can you walk uh, us through how, yeah, how that Yeah, of course. Um, I think around August or so, I remember I was at home. And of course, I was getting up and, and getting dressed. And so I live in Arizona and I, have al I get allergies during the summer mm -hmm. and, and fall months. Um, going into fall. And so I was sneezing quite a bit, which was really, really weird. Mm -hmm. And so I kept saying, I wonder why I'm sneezing. I thought maybe it was dust or, you know, maybe I was allergic to something. So I just tried to make sure my house was free of dust and any scents or smells that I thought may have been irritating my nose because I am sensitive to certain type of smells. Um, mm -hmm. and so I, I had a little bit of nasal drip, just what allergies would be. Uh, mm -hmm. so nasal drip and sneezing and it was mm -hmm. constant. I mean, it was like back to back to back and it was every day. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought it was allergies. I took some allergy meds and then a few months went by and then I noticed my eye was watering. And I couldn't mm. put my contact, I couldn't keep my left contact in without my eye watering and just 
I couldn't focus, my contact wouldn't focus on my lens. So I went to my optometrist and had an eye exam and I asked him, you know, Mm -hmm. to take a look at the surface of my eye to see maybe if I had an infection or something like that. And so he gave me some drops to use for two weeks that didn't alleviate the symptoms. And then I said, I need Mm -hmm. you to send me to an ophthalmologist to see what's going on. And unfortunately, when I went to the ophthalmologist, they didn't find anything on the surface of the eye. Mm -hmm. So they gave Mm -hmm. me an MRI and that's when they located the tumor. By that time, within seven months, several months, because it was such an aggressive tumor, it had traveled Mm -hmm. from the inside of my left nostril to the back of my left eye socket. And this all happened within a matter, like I said, of several months and it was just oh so gosh. minor. It started out so minor. Right. Um, yeah. And I I was just, I was blown away, actually. I was very scared. Yeah. I was blown away. I was nervous. I had so many of different course. emotions mm-hmm. when they found the tumor. Yeah. Ex- especially course. that's so normal to think that it's allergies. I would have thought yes. the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yes. You would never mm-hmm. think. Yes. Yeah. Or and, you cold know, or cold or anything right. because so mm-hmm. many symptoms over so many different types of illness symptoms overlap others, you know, illnesses. Right. So I was looking up things. I was saying, oh, yeah. it's just allergies. And then I thought maybe it's a thyroid issue um, or something, or maybe yeah, I'm not I'm getting enough that. rest or, you know, my body just can't fight off, you know, in fact, by bacterial infection or viral mm-hmm. infection or something. But never in right. a million years did I think that it was cancer. That's why it's yeah. so important to not ignore any signs or symptoms. I don't care if they're mild, moderate, or severe. Mm-hmm. As soon as you notice any yeah. type of change within your body, don't assume that it's something minor. Just get to the doctor. Right. Yeah. Agreed. And I think we all do that because we don't want it to right. be worst case scenario. You know, mm-hmm. like we're trying to avoid, like that's what I did for a year. Of course. So. Yeah. Or you think it's so rare that yeah. it wouldn't be. Right. It'll never you. happen. Yeah. and I I, I was never a sickly person that's the thing so I I never I mean I can't tell you the last time I had the flu and I only get a cold maybe once a year so it it was very surprising to me yeah Yeah. I was gonna ask did you feel like tired at all like anything else Um, besides I started to feel tired probably after um I found out about the tumor and it could have been um, right around the time when I knew I was going to have to have surgery. I just felt really down. So around Mm -hmm. January is when it really just hit me. And that's around the time I had my biopsy too. So I was Mm -hmm. feeling so weak. I mean, I was getting up, going to work, but I was like on 60% of my energy level and nothing changed. Like nothing would help it I was taking my vitamins and everything and that's how I knew I'm like Mm -hmm. I feel exhausted even when I get eight hours of rest and that's one thing that cancer patients feel it's a different type of fatigue it's like something is draining your body and weighing it down Mm -hmm. and you just feel totally like overwhelmed yeah right and and that's actually also normal that you might have thought thyroid um yeah something was wrong with that as well because that affects so much um we've heard in a previous episode someone talk about how much that affects especially your sleep and your rest and your energy of course thyroid controls your metabolism and it's Mm -hmm. like the regulator of your entire body and plus 
it was other symptoms too that overlapped what I was right. having. So I thought, you know, when my eyes started to bulge, the left eye, I said, well, maybe it's my thyroid or something like that. But then as I look further, mm-hmm. if you have one eye that's bulging versus two, that is a, a big concern. Um, so mm-hmm. mainly people with thyroid issues, both of their eyes tend to bulge, but I only had one eye okay. that did. And so that was another indicator that, um, again, there was something, a tumor behind my eye. Right. right. Yeah. And how do they do the biopsy? Oh, so yeah. um, when they did the biopsy, they had to go up through my nose um, into mm-hmm. my eye area and they took some tissue mm-hmm. and then they were able to have the pathologist actually review the tissue while I was there because my doctor at the time, he wanted to know immediately if it was cancer or not. And of course Mm -hmm. it it has spread pretty fast. It has spread from my nostril to my left socket all the Mm -hmm. way up to the base of my skull. If I wouldn't have caught it, it could have reached my brain. So he needed to know immediately. And I'm so glad he did because um, Mm -hmm. once my biopsy was done in January, I had a little bit of healing time and then I was able to have my surgery on March 3rd. Okay. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the surgery and like kind of how you dealt with all of that? Of course. The surgery was hard. It was a long surgery. Um, It was a 22 hour surgery. And so, oh my yes, goodness. Um, I, how did you find like the right surgeon for well, that? Well, I had a, a co worker who uh reached out to me after you know, my team at work, we're a very close knit type of group, mm-hmm. and we're like family. Okay. And so, I was able to That's share great. with them briefly um, what was going on with me. And one of my uh co workers, she actually had thyroid cancer three times and survived. They gave her a terminal diagnosis and she's been living for about 10 years, I believe, after she was first diagnosed. So several years after her diagnosis. So she shared with me that she went to the Mm -hmm. Mayo Clinic and I explained Mm -hmm. to her that the first doctor that I went to, the ENT specialist, I wasn't really happy, even though Mm -hmm. he did the biopsy and he did discover it was cancer. He he didn't provide much hope. He wanted to cut, he wanted to do a lot of cutting on my face, my neck. He even recommended for me to have my lymph noise taken out, even though um, my scan didn't show that the cancer has spread Mm -hmm. to my lymph noise. So I I didn't want him to do anything extra. I wanted him to just take care of what he needed to and to save my life, of course. Um, so yeah. I was able to talk to my coworker and she gave me a re- great recommendation from the Mayo Clinic. She told me up front, she mm-hmm. said they're expensive, but mm-hmm. they will tell you the honest truth. They will take mm-hmm. care of you. They will give you, um, you know, the best medical treatment to try to save your life. And I told her then that's where I'll go for my second opinion. Right. And so yeah. was it, so through them, did they have anything very different to say compared to the first oh, yes. ENT doctor you went to? Okay. Yes. They, they told me that they see these type of cases uh, quite 
frequently head and neck per se because again nasal mm. cancer is very rare but Mayo Clinic they're very good at when it comes to special diagnosis re- their research hospital um, you know so they have a lot of different type of doctors and specialists there so they really took the time to give me different type of MRIs and PET scans and they really mm. wanted to like start fresh from the uh, scans that the first doctor did because they wanted to make mm-hmm. sure they got the, the tumor out correctly. They wanted to use the right procedure. They didn't just want to go through my face. They wanted to go I through agree. my nose because that's the least invasive type of surgery. So okay. they really took the time to map out the best plan for my surgery. And they told oh, me God. that, you know, I would lose my eye, even though my eye did not have cancer in it. They couldn't get to Mm -hmm. the tumor without removing the eye and it could have spread to my eye. So I had that's something that I had to come to terms with because, you know, Mm -hmm. as a woman and, you know, being a young woman, you know, my appearance is important to me. But when he told Mm -hmm. me that saving my life is most important and then afterwards we can talk about, you know, cosmetic surgery possibly and having a prosthetic eye Mm -hmm. then that gave me some hope for the future but my immediate response was please do what needs to be done to save my life so the surgery was 22 hours it was long it was hard they wow it, it it had a lot of different things in it they had to do a lot so um they had to go through my nose and they had to remove the tissue that grew in that area. And then they had to get behind the eye socket. But in order for your face to, um, especially the eye area for it, not to darken and look dead, you have to have some type of vein or vessel there. And in order for mm-hmm. my face to, you know, look alive still on that side of my face, they needed to take a vein from my leg, my thigh and put mm-hmm. it in my face And so they ran it from like the corner of my ear to my eye. So I have a huge 10 inch scar on my leg. It's a very deep cut and it still irritates me at times. Um, And I had to use a walker for a couple of months. I had to uh, use a chair in the shower. Um, Just, I had to do a lot to get my bearings Mm -hmm. together, even as far as just, you know, having one eye and working with that. So I had to go right. through a lot of physical therapy and just therapy, talk therapy. It was a life changing. It's been a life changing oh experience. Oh, of course. I, I'm sure. And um, after the surgery, did they kind of tell you what to, I guess you never know what to expect or you're never ready for what you expect. But what was it like when you woke up from the surgery? Oh, when I woke up, my head was spinning. I mean, I, I mean, I've only had one other surgery in my life and it was pretty minor. And so Mm -hmm. I just, I was in so much pain. I can't even explain it from my head, you know, to my nose because they had to pack my nose and, and do all those things. And then my leg, it had a tube and a drainage. Um, in it. So I stayed in the hospital for several days. 
they thought that I would be in a hospital anywhere from 10 to 14 days, but I was in there mm-hmm. seven days because I was determined oh, wow. to just wow. get up and get moving around. And they kept saying, you know, we can't let you go home until we feel 100% comfortable that you can mm-hmm. stand up, you know, with the help of the mm-hmm. walker and move a little bit. So I was determined, very determined to come home because I wanted yeah. to be in, in the in the comfortability of my own yeah. home and rest and really right. recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's nothing how did like you, that. How did you deal with like the mental aspect of it? And like, did you have like a good support system? Oh yes. Cause I feel like that's so It is. It is. My yeah. mother, she came uh, right around the time of January after my biopsy. And I just mm-hmm. told her, I said, mom, I need you to come because my daughter was still in school. I was trying to get up and take mm-hmm. her to school every day. And I was trying to go to work and my body yeah. was just so tired. So yeah. my mom stayed yeah. with me uh, before surgery, after surgery and during treatment. So she stayed with me for wow. quite a long time, like four or five mm-hmm. months. And I was really thankful to her because she was able to help me and just really having someone with you mm-hmm. you I couldn't imagine oh going gosh, through that so alone fun. you know just yeah. waking up in the morning and knowing that she's here and I could talk to her mm-hmm. and but I also enrolled in uh counseling uh and talk therapy mm-hmm. so I did that and again I I'm a creative person and so uh towards mm-hmm. the end of me you know healing a little bit better and going through treatment then I started mm-hmm. to write my book but I just, yeah. it's so important to have people around you that love you and care for you because it is a mental and emotional drain when you find out mm-hmm. you have cancer. You have so many thoughts. I mean, from, yeah. am I going to die? Is it going to come back? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to look? How will people accept me? Your self-esteem is in question. Uh Mm-hmm. Will you be able to work at the same capacity, having limited vision and just a lot of different things, you know, I, yeah. I questioned. And so I had to work through those things and process those things, too, with my counselor and just get the get that off my chest, how I was feeling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, that's so important. Yeah. It does. It totally rocks your world like upside down. And it, and it just even it's it's hard for other people to understand as yeah. well like who haven't gone through it no no i i if you i mean to walk in a person's shoes who has cancer you won't know until you go through it, it yeah. i felt mm-hmm. like i was walking into something so unknown that mm-hmm. i was so scared yeah. and i I couldn't, I didn't have many people, you know, my age who I could talk to either who were diagnosed with cancer. A lot of people in my family that I know that have had cancer, they're older. So me being a single mom, a young lady, and still wanting to have somewhat of a life, it was hard for me to try to relate to people and try to explain to them how I was feeling about my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. When, when did you finally start feeling like you were kind of getting the hang of things then after after your surgery and after your your therapy and and everything um I would probably say like towards the middle of 
my treatment because again you go through a pro- you go through different phases the, mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. phase of course being diagnosed and all of that and you feel pretty weak and tired and, and then you go through the surgery it took me at least six weeks uh, before they would even do radiation and chemo so I had to go through that mm-hmm. healing process oh. but I started to feel a little better a, a few weeks into uh, treatment into radiation and chemo um, of course radiation and chemo it's very harsh on your body but if you mm-hmm. if you take the meds like I took the nausea meds and I was right. trying to eat right I started to feel a little bit better yeah but then of course it's like a roller coaster wave you feel mm-hmm. better and then mm-hmm. as you get into it you feel bad and then you feel better yeah. after and it's, a roller coaster. and it's just like okay I just have to I just have to roll with the punches as long as I can keep my food down. When I feel tired, I won't overexert myself. I won't push myself Mm -hmm. because I I used to do that a lot before, you know, Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed and I changed a lot because I look at life a whole lot different now uh, after my diagnosis and a lot of stuff that I was doing, I was pressuring myself and putting too much on myself and I really Mm -hmm. you know found a new love for wanting to give myself some TLC and take care of my body and my mind so I I do too what what are some of the changes you've made like I feel like this is such a great topic you brought up because you're right like I think we just keep pushing ourselves to no limit before until you Mm -hmm. go through something like this so what are some of the lifestyle changes or some advice you can give for how to create those boundaries and kind of just say when you're tired that you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I don't, I don't take on anything that I know I can't do, even if I want to do it really bad. If I don't have the energy, I have to say no. And I think one thing Mm -hmm. is you have to have good boundaries, whether that's with work in your personal relationships People may think, you know, well, you can do this and you can do that. But honestly, you know, I think I was a little bit of a people pleaser before. And I used Mm -hmm. to want to really just show people that I was strong and independent, you know, and I've been like that my whole life. And I don't I don't look at things that way. So I started to say, hey, if, if it's too much on my plate and I can't do something, as long as I can get up, I can take care of myself and work a little bit. I can take care of my daughter. I can go out and get some fresh air. I'll change my eating habits. You know, I'll go to bed at a good time. I won't stay up until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, I'll give myself a good night's rest and just really slow down. I'm not in a rush to go anywhere yeah. anymore. I don't feel like I have to be doing something all the time like I did before. Right. And that has helped a yeah. lot. I was like a really busy, productive person, but now it's about quantity, you know, about quality, excuse yeah. me, versus quantity. And I just mm-hmm. I just 100%. make sure I pull back and reserve my energy for only the necessary things. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. I'm like smiling because I'm so bad at this. Asha, <laughs> I am so, and I've Paige I'm, is still she's a people pleaser. Oh, it's okay, but cancer didn't help me with that. No. I need it too, but oh. it didn't. Boy, well, it, it may change for you. I mean, after I had to do some self reflection. For me, it was just about I'm worthy 
of friendships and love regardless of how much or how little I do for people because I'm a good person and I don't feel the need Mm -hmm. now to overexert myself my friends that know me they love me for who I am and if they're a true friend they won't get upset if I say I can't do something I just don't have the energy or I'm tired or not today or maybe another time Mm -hmm. and so they respect that and I love that about my friends Right. I love that. Yeah. And I think the hardest part is if you're so used to being a people pleaser yeah. is you're always worried about people being disappointed. Yes. But once you actually start creating the boundaries, I'm sure it's so much easier. It is. To keep doing it. It is. It really is. It is. And again, healthy boundaries is what they call it. And so I'm all for that. that. I'm definitely for that. Mm-hmm. Is that a topic you talk about in your book? I'm going to read your book anyway. Okay. <laughs> I know I want to get into the book. I... <laughs> yeah, the book. Sorry, Maddie, you probably have some really good questions on that. So I'll let you. No, 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 no. I want to, yeah, I want to start with the book. Like, how did you, you're going through all of this. Like, how did you even think to start writing a book? Because that's a lot of work. I, I felt about halfway into my treatment, I felt so inspired to write and again, I'm already a creative person. I've always loved mm-hmm. to write. I love to write music. I love just to write poetry. I just like to write. So mm-hmm. um, about halfway into my treatment, um, I got the idea and I said, I'm just, I want to write a book. It's going to be therapeutic, number one, for me. And then number two, hopefully it will help people because I don't know if there's, you know, someone out there that people can talk to when they're a young person going through this and they can be open and transparent you know in this book I talk about everything from how I was just running my life so fast and just taking care of my daughter home work you know life in general just beating me down to the point where I wasn't eating healthy and I had a lot of stress on my body and again Cancer can be genetic, but it also can be environmental. It can be a lot of different things. So you have to look at it as in a holistic approach, like what's wrong with the lifestyle that I'm in as far as pushing myself and making my body go when it needs the right foods, it needs the right breasts and all of that. So I said, you know what? I want to talk about how I felt when I was diagnosed. I want to talk about my recovery as far as um, after surgery, how I felt about how I looked. I mean, I just wanted to be just so open. I wanted to talk about my life growing up a little bit and what made me strong as a person. And then that helped me strong to stay strong through my diagnosis and to be resilient. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about loneliness, depression, all of those things that come with a diagnosis um, and that people experience. So I didn't want to, I wanted it to be a real book. I didn't want to hold anything Mm -hmm. back. And I just wanted to give like a summary of how you can just rise through cancer if you just give yourself the opportunity to feel all these feelings and that's totally fine, but just don't stay there. Just push through and know that your life is worth living. You know, you still have something to look forward to. You have a testimony, you have a story to share with people and give them hope at the same time. I love that. Unfiltered. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. 
yeah that you need yeah good for you because I mean I can't like writing a book would be so hard yeah during, first of all let alone should... not during treatment but like during chemo so good for actually you. I was just sitting there with you know in chemo That's session true. there's not much you can do I mean they tell you to bring a care <laughs> bag which you can have puzzles in it you can bring your computer you know you can bring mm. books to read and I'm like if I'm gonna be sitting in this chair four hours at a time you know I, I need to be doing yeah. something productive I just can't sit here and so yeah. it was very therapeutic for me and I'm glad I was able to get it done when I felt I was being inspired to do so so mm-hmm. yeah that's true right yeah. when you're in the thick of it it's probably yes. when you feel the most it is true about what you're feeling throughout oh, all yeah. of it afterwards right. you're like okay it happened you're kind of numb to it all yeah yeah but when you're so, in it you feel every yeah. emotion and it's easier to write it down and it's easier it was easier for me to put it more like a conversation mm-hmm. as I was writing just sharing my thoughts and feelings that's so, and I think it's just such an important and like valuable thing, an educational thing for people that are going through it. Because, like me and Paige always said that we had nothing really to, you know, read That's about, true. or like we just didn't know about anything that was available for young adults going through. Yeah, cancer. I wasn't able to find much materials myself, and yeah, mm-hmm. um, after researching, you know, I found out that only 80,000 people between the age, I believe, of 20 and 39 are diagnosed with cancer each year. That's a that's a low number compared to the overall number of 1.7 million people a year being diagnosed. And every time I would go to the Mayo Clinic for treatment, I would be the youngest person there. You know, I will always see older couples, elderly uh, individuals. And so I felt out of place times. And again, like I said, I didn't have many people that I could relate to. So this book has brought about so many uh, connections for me. So many people have reached out and said, oh, my God, I I was I was diagnosed with cancer this year or I've been going through chemo or my aunt just found out or my cousin just found Mm -hmm. out they have cancer. I mean, people have been gifting people with my book. They've been spreading the love. It's really been a beautiful thing. Wow, the yeah. gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. And what what you say about loneliness is so real. No, even if you're surrounded by loved ones, which helps mm-hmm. a thousand yeah. percent, it just, it, it does, at the end of the day, I don't know, most days, because I didn't know anyone else that had really gone through it, I need two other young adults who went through it who are my family friends. Mm-hmm. I just felt so depressed because I was lonely yeah even mm-hmm. though I could be in a room filled with people yeah I was like it's funny you say that because I touch on that in my book over um, mm-hmm. my chapter that says overcoming loneliness and how people don't understand you could be around a lot of people and still feel lonely loneliness has to do with how you feel about yourself and mm-hmm. how you yeah. are connected to the outside world and people. So again, um, if people can't really relate to a person that's been through cancer, it's hard for an individual to talk about it. So, you know, you don't want to seem like a downer all the time yeah, when you're exactly. around people. <laughs> and so a lot of times you avoid people sometimes because yeah. you may not be feeling it that day or 
you may feel mm-hmm. sad or you may feel like, you know, I, I, I just can't do this today. So it's important to be honest with your feelings um, and mm-hmm. just to let yourself be human. But at the same time, know that you can't stay in, lo- in that loneliness state. You have to find some outlets right. and some things to do to stay connected mm-hmm. to family and friends and things that you enjoy doing mm-hmm. that kind of keep you motivated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember so like even, yeah, when I was like going back to Austin after I was done with um, treatment and everything, I remember like being around so many people, but not paying attention to anything anyone's saying. Yeah. Like, I was just like in my head of like, are they just kidding me? Like, this is what they're talking about. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> yeah. so I don't, not yeah. went away. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't know if you guys felt that way too. Yeah, a yeah. lot of things are minuscule to me now. Like I don't even right. pay it any mind. Like I look at life totally different. That doesn't mean I'm serious all the time and I'm boring because I still right. like to laugh. I yeah. still like right. to joke. I mean, I've always been, yeah. you know, a pretty humorous person too. But it's just like yeah. whatever it is, I just try not to waste my time on things that are really mm-hmm. irrelevant. You know, I just I don't take any moment for granted. And so Mm -hmm. it's very important for me to be around people, too, that understand that because I don't want to waste time and I want to be as productive Mm -hmm. as possible and I want to have fun. But again, I don't want to just have fun to the point where I don't think about what's important in life, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 Because. I definitely faked it throughout my whole treatment. How I was feeling. I I should have been more real, like you're saying, because now it's coming out. It's not that you fake it and you're good. Yeah. You fake it and then it's pushed under the rug, and there's just a huge pile under the rug that's seen. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because yeah, I I know while I was going through it, a lot of people were like, "Oh my God, you're so positive. Like nothing's wrong. Like you're handling it totally fine." And I. I look back and I'm like, I was faking it so hard. Like, <laughs> I don't know who that was. That's just a, co- I, I get it. Cause it's a coping mechanism. And I, mm-hmm. I understand people can look at you from the outside, looking in and say, wow, you're doing fine. You have it together. But in my book too, <laughs> I talk mm-hmm. about how many days, you know, my pillowcases was just f- filled with tears. And, but I gave yeah. myself time to, cry and and let those emotions out you know and my mom when she was here she saw me have some good days and some bad days but she was always so supportive and I just I just wanted to be me I didn't want to fake it I just wanted to be real and I just Mm -hmm. said this is a test that I'll get through and I'll come um, on the other side of it victorious and that's what I was determined to do Absolutely. You have. Oh, thank so, you. And you're helping so yeah. many people thank you. along the way. Thank which you. Is so great. And so are you, ladies. Yeah. I'm just so happy and thrilled that you guys invited me on, you know, and I'm so glad to oh, see other people Absolutely. who are joining in on the conversation and educating individuals and sharing their own stories because mm-hmm. a lot of times cancer is a taboo topic. You know, people Mm -hmm, are afraid to talk about cancer. We all know people who have passed away from it, but we don't always talk Mm -hmm. about the survivors and how, you know, they they live through it and giving information that hopefully can save someone else's life. So Mm -hmm. you're right. It's it's that hidden topic. You're right. It is that hidden topic. Yeah. Yeah. 
It is. So true. And Pasha, where can people find your book and find you and follow you and get all those good updates? Yeah, so my book, uh, Through the Scars, Rising from Cancer, it is available to order on Amazon. Um, you can okay. also you can also you can order it there online. It's also available at Barnes and Nobles online. Uh, those okay. are the quickest ways, of course, to to get the book. And you are such a badass! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like I go to Barnes and Noble all the time, and I know someone wants a book. Yeah, you can. Stuff. It's not on the shelf at there, but you can order it through their website, and it'll come directly mm. to you. And same with Amazon; it's an ebook format too. So some people I know oh, don't amazing. like to, you know, read books in in their hand. They want to read it electronically, so it's available through mm. ebook. So you can get it there. Uh, For the people who are out of the country, there's a website Mm. called uh, bookdepository.com that you can get it from because I have family in Norway and they were able to order their book through that website as well. Okay, great. And I'll put all of this information in the um, podcast episode description okay. as well. Okay, great. You can easily find it all. And then I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pasha, P-A-S-H-A, the number four, B-E-D-R-O-C. So that is my uh, social media handles. And I have a email address, uh, and it's inside the book as well, called Rising from cancer survivor at gmail.com and I created that email so people who read the book can write me they can share what they thought about the book oh, that's amazing and I've had that's people already email me and say they wanted to donate books to their groups and all kinds mm, of stuff wow. and people who said that the book really inspired them so I'm always happy about hearing how people you know receive mm. the book so yeah, you can you can email me. You can they can uh, contact me on social media and get the book at Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or anywhere books are sold online. Perfect, Perfect. incredible! Thanks, wow. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Pasha. You've been you. so inspiring. So and so inspiring. So transparent, and I love it. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank much. you, ladies, for having me. Great. I really do appreciate it. Keep up the good work, and um, I will be Thank tuning you. in to you guys' show all the time. I'm so glad I found <laughs> Thank out about you. it. Oh, and appreciate um, it. I just wish you guys much success with your podcast. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so Let's much. Let's keep in touch, please. Yes, of course, of course. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks, the podcast that tells the truth about what people with cancer actually go through. Each week, myself, Paige Gill, and my co-host, Madison Pollock, Sit down with fellow cancer survivors to tell our stories. Keep up to date with our guests and new episodes on our Facebook and Instagram pages, Cancer Actually Sucks Podcast, and tune in every Monday to hear our stories. 